Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. Hope you all have had a good weekend. Um, it's uh, Sunday afternoon here in, in Nevada, and I'm uh, I'm speaking with an author uh, by the name of John Yearwood. Um, about halfway through his book, Jar of Pennies, and uh, we're going to talk about some uh, small town drama. Oh, hi, Matt. I'm welcome. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. I'm, thank you for welcoming me to your show. You, you betcha. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes because I, I think this is a, this is a really interesting story, and this is all based off of a, a true story. Am, am I correct? That's right. In fact, and I, I don't think I've, I've told this to anybody else, but I met the. I met the killer. You've, you've met him now. And, uh, we're calling him Jesse Grinder. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is not his real name. Uh, but uh, uh, I owned a newspaper in a little East Texas town. And one night the press broke down and I got a frantic call about 4.30 in the morning from uh, from the guy that was handling the, the my distribution from a newspaper. Mm-hmm. saying, you know, the press is late, and if we don't get some help down here, we're not going to make the post office. You had to have all the had to have all the newspapers to the post office by a certain time of day in order to get them delivered mm-hmm. uh, to, in time for the breaking ads uh, that were all the grocery store ads in particular that came out on Thursday. And uh, so he called me. He said, you know, uh, we need uh, – we need help down here. And I said, okay, I'm on my way. He said, yeah, but also we're going to need some more people. He says, and I happen to know this guy uh, who could use a job. Uh, and it, uh, would it be okay for me to call him and get him to come over here this time in the morning and go to work for us? And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, give him a call. So uh, 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 the guy shows up down there and I and I get to meet him and the and the and my distribution manager comes to me a minute or two later and he says, Now look, John, he says, I know you've got a, a little seven year old daughter at home. He said, Whatever you do, do not leave your daughter alone with this man. And I thought, Oh my God, what you know, who is this? And I I didn't see him again. I didn't see him again for another ten years. Um uh, we got the paper out and everything worked fine. Um, but then I read about the, or heard about this murder. Um, and it, I mean, it is a horrible, horrible murder. Uh, and completely senseless. It had absolutely no, no reason for happening. There wasn't mm-hmm. any anger, you know, there wasn't any, nothing. Uh, this guy just, uh, like, like my character, Jesse Grinder. Uh, this this guy was just hungry, and he was going to go break into a neighbor's house and steal some food. And he broke in because he thought the woman had left, and she hadn't, or she came back with unexpectedly. So that's where you are in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's about to walk in back into her trailer while he's in there, um, ab- about to go through her refrigerator, and. Um, Man, everything everything starts falling like dominoes after that. Yeah, and and 
and I'm assuming, um, based on how, how everything's going, but being East Texas, you know, it's kind of, kind of a little hillbilly country, I guess, uh, is, uh, is kind of, uh, not so much hillbilly, but like, uh, kind of backwoods. Um, oh yeah, it's isolated. You know, I, I call it the pine curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where you are in Nevada, you can, you can go to your door and you can see a horizon. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, and people who, people who live in Nevada, uh, and even in West Texas, boy, they go to East Texas and they feel claustrophobic. Oh, I, I tell you, because you can't see more than a hundred yards in any direction. Um, I was I was telling uh, some people um, on our senior trip, we went down to Biloxi, Mississippi, and I yeah. grew up in in Southeast Colorado, uh, out out on the plains. So yeah, you, it's yeah. you know the old joke because you can watch your dog run away for three days, and uh, <laughs> and then we. Yeah, we were going through East Texas, and it's just like a tunnel of of pine trees, just really tall pine yeah. trees, and that's that's like yeah. the only light is just right there down the road. Yeah, it only it only shines the light only shines, and, and where the where the light uh, goes off of the road, it hits those hits those trees. Mm-hmm. Well, all all the vegetation in the world grows right there along the road where it's got light. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's like a 40 foot barrier there of solid briars and bushes and whatever. And then you step through it and the woods begin to open up. It's really, it's really beautiful. But as we say, there is no horizon. And the result of that is I think people end up feeling insulated mm-hmm. and, you know, not part of the bigger picture in the United States. So in the sense that um, hillbilly is somebody who's isolated from the larger culture, that's true. Um, mm. It's very then, similar to like the haulers in, in West Virginia and stuff. It's, sim- it's similar. It is, yeah. it is, it is similar. Um, you know, but the vegetation is different and the, mm-hmm. uh, and the livelihoods are different. This is a place where um, lumbering is basically the only source of income. Mm-hmm. We have we have tried for a hundred years to figure out. We, by I'm meaning people who live in East Texas, have tried for a hundred years to figure out a way to bring in some kind of industry that would diversify um, the the employment situation and give people something to do besides just holding the the, the work handle of an axe. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, of course, nowadays it's it's all um, it's all machinery. You know, they don't actually use saws anymore or axes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, most of those most of those attempts have been shallow or have failed. The only really permanent one we've we've managed to achieve has been to put in a, a state prison. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like uh, sounds a lot like Eastern Colorado. You know, yeah. it's it's either either uh, subsidy farm or uh, you know insurance farm. I guess is is a better better term for it. Where they're hoping they actually don't raise a crop, so they don't so they can just collect the insurance on it, or right. they put in yeah these these private prisons and uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. yeah it's it's not a not a lot. And of course the the drugs are are pretty pretty bad in those towns too. So oh yeah yeah it does it does get bad. In- and and you know the, I mean the guys that are working in the prison they're getting they're getting berated and and propositioned all day long by prisoners who want them to bring drugs to them mm-hmm. with, with these grandiose promises of help from the outside and who knows what um, mm-hmm. so it's tough it's tough for them it is tough for them 
Um, I, you know, I lived in I lived in the little town in East Texas for uh, about a decade and a half running my newspaper, but I had also married a girl uh, who grew up there, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and I want everybody to understand that the town that I create in my book that's fiction. It's it's not the town where she and I live, and and the newspaper reporter that's in the book that's not me. That's a that's a made up character. The people who work in the newspaper office in this fictional town, those are all invented characters. Mm-hmm. They're not me. Um, but uh, but but all that is but all that aside, it's been. I guess the easiest way to, to talk about East Texas is to say that it's just it has a unique character. It's 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 kind of it's kind of that meeting ground where that sense of West Texas independence runs headfirst into that sense of um, deep South nostalgia, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's not a happy marriage. Um, you have. That independent spirit fighting with this with this desire for some kind of feudal society where where people who are rich are automatically entitled to privilege that mm-hmm. nobody else can and can and can do things can do illegal things yep that other people can't get away with so it's interesting it, you know, I I really did enjoy my time there and the people many of the people had just absolutely fascinating and great great folks it's uh it's it's interesting for me because growing up where where i did um like the, it's um it's it's mostly whites and and mexicans is is kind of the the you know the demographics that we have we um there's a lot of people that would be nowadays be considered kind of racist but it wasn't it wasn't because they they thought the blacks were were worse off than them. And it's almost, they were like a novelty because you, you just didn't see them anywhere except on TV. Right. And so when you saw black people in person, like every, every little kid in the town where I grew up would stare and it's rude, but like they, they didn't mean anything by, it. you know, it's just like, it's a novelty almost. And, uh, so getting to know some, some black, I had, a our, our family adopted, uh, my, my brother from, from Haiti. So he was the, the one black kid in town, uh, for most of, most of, you know, growing up. And, uh, and so you get to, to notice a little bit of that, but then we're also weren't in slave country either. You know, like it was, right. you know, we were the wild west. Uh, right. so, so that, that's that whole racism thing. Like there's, it's there present, uh, on with the Mexicans a little bit, but it's nothing like the South. And, uh, and I've, I've talked to, uh, to, a well, as a, in the barbershop in Denver and uh, a black guy from, uh, from Atlanta and then kind of grew up in, in rural Georgia too. And he, he talks about how oh, well, there's, there's some real like pockets of just like deeply racist people still for the most part, people get along, but there's, I mean, we got to remember it wasn't that long ago that uh, in the grand scheme of things that, uh, that there were people enslaved and um, people don't forget either. That's the, that's the right. thing. Right. Right. I met a I met a man um when I first moved there who uh who had been a slave. He was oh. uh he was over a hundred years old. Huh. Uh, uh but he owned a mule and he had a plot of land uh and a little cabin and he had been living right there since 
the Civil War and, uh, and farming with his mule, and he made enough money to buy his necessities and keep himself fed and, and going and have a little family, and, and that's what he did every day. He got up, and he, and he went to work. He was blind when I met him. Mm-hmm. But he but he lived in the same spot for so long they knew his way around so he didn't really need his eyes to tell him what to do mm-hmm. and the, and the mule knew how to how to pull pull the plow <laughs> you know mules, mules eventually learn the routine and they will follow it through mm-hmm. uh, that's he, interesting I uh... yeah. You know, William Faulkner says a mule will work for you for 10 years for the opportunity to kick you once. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. That's about right. But, they, but they're not all that way. <laughs> no, my, my dad had a, I guess he still does, old, old Marvin the mule. My dad ran for uh, for US, the U.S. House uh, in, there in Colorado. And uh, back in 96, he ran as an independent and he did all of his campaigning horseback. So he just, he had, he had his horse and he took his mule up and down Eastern Colorado and from us there in the Southeast corner, all the way up to, to Fort Collins. And, and, uh, and he rode, I think somewhere around eight, like 1500 miles, uh, that, that summer campaigning and got like 2% of the vote, but he had a, had a good time. But, um, I think it was the Greeley Tribune, uh, endorsed Marvin the mule for, for the for the U.S. House because they said the the Republican was corrupt, uh, the Democrat was was way too left, and my dad didn't stand a chance because he's an independent. So they endorsed Marvin the Mule. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I think there's 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 something missing in today's culture about having like that regional flavor in the in the press. It's all like big conglomerates anymore. And um, I agree. I agree. And uh, so I like I'm enjoying like hearing the like the inside uh you know a small town newspaper um while reading this book as well. So I got I'm I gotta congratulate you. It's a very, very interesting, easy well, to read you. book and thank I'm you. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So thank you. Um yeah, thank I, I'm I'll I'll uh, I'll finish. It'll be the I've I've got a about ten different books that I've started and yeah. not finished yet. But I'm gonna make sure and finish this one because it's it's a good read and uh, I want to I want to know how it all turns out. And um, I guess for for a little background, um, this is a, like a fairly recent story as far like within the last what twenty years or so. Well, yeah. Um, the 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 actual murderer. The one I told you about meeting, mm-hmm. um, he was executed in in the year two thousand. Okay. So, so, but so you can back that up and figure out that the, he's probably in jail for eight to twelve years before that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, while the, all the appeals run through their processes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it was pretty soon after the murders that he was uh, he was convicted. I um, see. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, so, so the actual murder occurred in I think ninety two. Um, okay. But but I've got the story set in seventy nine eighty that mm-hmm. that period because that that seemed to me to be a watershed point. You know, mm-hmm. the beginning the beginning of the Reagan presidency just changed the nature of the country completely. And uh, um and, and and man, people who were not alive in nineteen eighty don't remember what it was like to have. A prime interest rate of twenty one percent, but it was pretty rough. Yeah, I've uh, 
I was born in 85 and my, uh, you know, my folks, uh, I've, I've heard, heard stories about, you know, the, the interest rates and then you had the, the fuel crisis in the, in the seventies. And we're, I mean, kind of mirrors about what, what we're going through today. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a rough time. And, uh, yeah, I, I it just, it's weird how, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, was it, uh, Mark Twain said, uh, history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, yeah. Yeah. that's, that's kind of what it feels like. There's this, <laughs> this, this point in, in time we're at right now, I can't, I can't decide if it looks like, uh, you know, the Weimar Republic or pre world war one, or, you know, as well as, I don't know, there's, there's been a bunch of different flavors of all the, all Either way, it's not great. <laughs> to, well, it, uh, it, seems, it seems unsettled, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah, I heard, um, I, heard from, I heard from some friends in Germany yesterday that they are stockpiling food because they think there's going to be a massive food shortage in Germany or right. in Europe this uh, this winter, and uh, it probably will be. Yeah, they, they're saying that firewood is, uh, you know, coincidentally, firewood is uh, going to be like the new gold in Germany. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's going to be a, a rough winter, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid yeah. it's going to be rough for the whole world. The whole I think world. so. I think it's going to be a little tough. But um, yeah. getting back to the to the book, though. Um, so what what's it like uh, running a, a small town newspaper? I mean, <laughs> I can't well, imagine that. Uh, like you're either people's best friends or their worst enemy, depending on how you're reporting. Yeah, and sometimes that can happen in the same week. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. I bet so. So I, I, uh, I'll tell you what. It, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little story. It's not in the book, but I'll tell you a little side story. Uh, there was a man who uh, and his wife who uh, uh, who decided they would try to pass a um, forged prescription in at a local drugstore. Okay. So, so they went in, and uh, the wife stayed in the car while he went in to pass the pass the prescription and time passed and time passed and uh um and suddenly a, a police car pulls up in the lot right next to her uh and uh so she cranks the car and a minute later here he comes out of the out of the drug the policemen have gotten out of their car and here he comes out of the drugstore jumps in the front seat and says go 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 and she takes <laughs> off she takes off. Well, you know what had happened is the, the pharmacist had called the police and said, we've got this guy trying to pass this, this forged prescription for some amphetamines or mm-hmm. something, you know. And uh, so he takes off. Well, the police come running back out of the drugstore. They get in their car. Their, their sirens are going. They're chasing. And the woman is doing all kinds of crazy maneuvers with the car, cutting through parking lots, driving on the wrong side of the road, going back and forth. Meanwhile, every other police car and all of the uh, volunteer firemen <laughs> are, are suddenly converging in the same spot, and they're all chasing this woman who's going every which way and cutting corners, and she finally gets out on the highway and dashes down the highway about seven miles and makes a, a screeching uh, left turn across inc- oncoming traffic onto a dirt road, fishtails down the road, ends up at a trailer. Well, that's her trailer. And and the two of them bail out of the trailer and go dashing in and lock the door of the trailer just as the DPS and the 
and the local sheriffs and the, and the city police and and probably a hundred guys with the with the volunteer fire department who you know they're not law officers they just emergency responders and uh, they all surround the the trailer and 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 the the, the couple barricade themselves inside and and uh, and you can see you can see the husband he'll pull aside the curtain and he's got a gun he's got his little boy held under his neck with a gun pointed at his head you know mm. threatening to kill the boy and all this goes on for seven or eight hours okay nine hours finally they talk nobody gets hurt finally they talk talk this guy out they talk the, the wife out everybody agrees to lay down their guns and. It's all solved. So that's a good story. Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Don't you think that's a good story? So I, ran, I think so. So I ran that story, uh, pretty much told in that way, uh, uh, in the next week's paper. I got a telephone call from that boy's mother that melted the telephone receiver. <laughs> <laughs> she cussed me out. She told me I had ruined his life by writing that story. <laughs> you were the one that ruined the life, not, not him by sticking a, a gun to his boy's head. That that didn't ruin his life. We're trying to pass a forged prescription, but it's my fault. So yeah. That's, okay, so that's that's what it's like. You know, people don't like to be caught doing stuff. And I think, as I say in the book, we you know nobody actually reads the local newspaper to see who got caught. Yeah. <laughs> They just read the local newspaper to see who got caught at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Living in a small town, you know, everybody. You recognize mm -hmm. it's, and it's just like where you, I'm sure where you live in Nevada or where you lived in Colorado. You know, everybody's vehicle. You recognize yep. their license plates. Uh, nobody takes the keys out of their ignition because who's going to, mm -hmm. who's going to steal your car? Hey, no, no. You know, and nobody locks their doors, and 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 you know everybody's name and their names of their wives and their children and their pets and where mm -hmm. they go to school, where they work, and you you go to the grocery store, there'll be two hundred people in there, and you know every one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I would go on, I would I would go on trips with the county commissioners. You know, if all of us went together, all four commissioners and me went together, then that. Nobody could call it a secret meeting, but if they went, the four of them in the same vehicle uh, together, and then people could accuse them of holding a secret a meeting in secret. Mm -hmm. uh, so un, under the open meetings law, they needed they needed somebody to ride along with them, and that way they could save money on transportation. Wouldn't all have to go in separate vehicles. So I'd go with them on these places, and we'd be riding down the road, and one of them would look off to the side and say. Now, isn't that the place so-and-so began stealing the telephone wires to collect the copper? And the other one would say, yeah, and he was the son of so-and-so, and they have a fight over this. And, and before you know it, all four commissioners are just rattling off the <laughs> genealogies, the genealogies of the people in the county. And it goes on and on. And on. Mm -hmm. and one, at one time, I thought they were just trying to make me go to sleep. You know, I thought they were, <laughs> they were just trying to bore me to death. But no, as it turns out, um, this is an important part of living, living in a small place. 
is you do have to understand what the relationships are between people. Oh, and yeah. So you, you have to you can't just move in from outside not knowing anyone and and make it. You've got to if you're going to move in from outside, you've got to make friends and you've got to start studying the family relationships and you've got to know who's who's having a good time with who and who is who's fighting with whom and and, uh, you know, where the family feuds are and where the where the, the skeletons are. Um, so, you, you, I mean, it's living in, living in a small town is a full time experience. Oh, um, yeah. You know, you um, you learn so much about about being human. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story to illustrate that point. I, I'm not keeping you too long, am I? Can no, no. On? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, we're, uh, I, I'm, okay. I'm free for, for the day. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk as long as you want. Okay. So I'll tell you another story. Uh, in, in this little town, uh, where I had my newspaper, uh, I met two women. Both of them were named Ruby. Mm hmm. One Ruby was wealthy beyond imagining. Um, she owned, she was her husband and and family owned a string of department stores in Houston and Dallas and New Orleans and Baton Rouge, and they made a lot of money. They made mm -hmm. a ton of money, and they were the only people I met who uh, who were not dependent upon the the lumber industry for income. Um, and so they were sort of insulated from the, uh, the economic ups and downs of the community. Well, they had an architect come in and build them an absolutely gorgeous house, three-story house with, with an atrium that went all the way to a glass ceiling in the top and a large downstairs thing. And, and this Ruby had been classically trained and she had been a ballerina in her youth and she had she was a, um, a concert level pianist and she had twin um, grand pianos side by side in her, uh, in her living room there under that beautiful atrium. Uh, and she would invite other friends who could play and they would get together and they would have these little concerts. It was classy. It was mm -hmm. classy. It was beautiful. She was cultured, educated. And she was beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. In her 70s, she was absolutely stunning. The other Ruby had been married five times. The second and fourth times to the same man. Oh. Who, who, who had gotten angry with her over something, probably money, since that's generally when people get angry with one another over. Mm. Uh, and had taken an open-end wrench to her face and had beaten her face into a pulp and knocked out all her teeth. Oof. And and the res and the result of that was well, she did divorce him after that. <clears throat> but the other result was she lost all her teeth and and by that point it had, was enough of a trauma to flip her over the edge into full-blown paranoid schizophrenia. And she mm. ended up, she ended up basically living on the street as a paranoid schizophrenic, um, appealing for help to everyone, you know, just a little change here, just a little change there. Uh, and the only, really the only homeless person 
in the town. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it was a small town, 2,500 people. So one in 2,500 is not bad. But yeah, yeah, you multiply it by 10 million and you've got a lot of homeless people. But, mm-hmm. you know, so, so she ended up coming to my, uh, coming into my office one day and I listened to her. I listened to her talk and listened to her rant and rave. And the more I listened, the calmer she got. And I realized, you know, this woman is, is crazy, but basically she just needs somebody to care about her. Mm-hmm. So I so I decided I'd start looking out after her and make sure she had food and and found her a place to stay. And eventually, I bought her a little five hundred dollar pickup that she could get around in. Um, and things went on like that. But it always struck me as as uh, uh, ironic that the only two women named Ruby that I knew would be at such opposite ends of mm-hmm. this of the social and mental scale. And it was as though they were bookends for the entire human experience. On the one hand, you have this poor woman who's destitute, toothless, living on the street with nothing, no food. And on the other, you have this fabulously wealthy, beautiful woman with cultured and, and, uh, um, educated and, and just everybody else exists in a in a continuum between those those two extremes. Uh, and and the longer I thought about it, the more I realized that that's what really that's what it really means to live in a small town is that you you get to know everything about what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. You get to know everything. You get to see people struggling to make a life for themselves, trying to create a community and civilization, um, you know, trying to figure out how to keep their kids from getting in trouble and and entertaining the, the, the children and educating them to grow up to be decent human beings. And uh, and it's not an easy job, um, but it's. You know, it's worthwhile. It's it's what it's it's who we are, mm-hmm. and that that's what I love about about living in a small town. You not only did you know everyone, but you also had this wonderful window into understanding who and what humans are, um, both singly and in in groups. I loved it. I, I just yeah. absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, now, where did you where did you come from originally? Well, uh, I'm I'm the product of a military family. So everywhere. Uh, so yeah, I was born in Hawaii of all places. Uh, I've lived in Munich and Washington D.C. and Shreveport and New Orleans and San Antonio and Austin twice and and Honolulu and uh, on the island of Maui. Um, mm. So. So that, that's, I mean, I've, I've had a, a fairly large exposure to the United States and a good part of the Western Europe. I lived in England for, for a year on a fellowship to Cambridge. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, all, all over. Uh, my wife is from East Texas, and uh, okay. her, her family goes back six or seven generations. Um her grandmother was born in 1856. So, 
Um, if that yeah. gives you any, any indication, you know, in Roan's Prairie. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's crazy. I, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I grew up in, uh, in Dust Bowl country where, uh, you know, Boy <laughs> yeah. City, Oklahoma is considered the, the geographic center of the Dust Bowl. And, uh, my little sister was born there. I was, I grew up just you know, about 45 minutes from the, the center of the Dust Bowl. Yeah. And, uh, and all my, uh, is every everybody uh you know my age like their their whole family's existence is like all revolved around how bad the you know the depression and the dust bowl was and uh um, yes. and it was uh and it's strangely enough like they weren't hit um with as many draft notices as uh you know as the the, the urban centers because they a lot of the, a lot of the men got deferments for for farming or whatever and uh so World War II was a little different for for folks out there. There were still plenty of people that served, but not nearly the like the density of the urban centers. You know, they they uh, mm-hmm. and um, it just it's funny like that that whole like uh, like you don't waste not want not you know you don't throw something away because you never know when you're going to need it later. That was just drilled into everybody's head at a very yeah. early age. Mine too. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and, it, and it's 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 funny how uh, I don't know just looking back. And I, I, it just amazes me just like we we get so uh, we have such a, a different view of the world um, than the rest of the world because we're so much newer than than the rest of the world. I mean, you know, it's outside of the, the natives like who have a, you know, an ancient culture, but the rest of the U.S. is brand new compared to the rest of the world. And uh, oh, yeah. And we, we don't have sometimes we don't get the the understanding of we don't look at the rest of the world like we would, you know, little clicks in a, in a small town. I think that's a lot better way to look at how the, the world interacts with each other. Cause there's, you know, you, you listen to, um, to a lot of guys that, that went over to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and fought and they talk about how it, there was never going to be a cohesive government because they'd, uh, right. they'd give some money to, to, to the locals and they would use that money to get back on another, another person for some feud that was like eight generations ago over a goat, you know? (laughs) And and, and so I just like, and it's like that everywhere in the world. And you're just like, you know, people don't forget. And like this, this whole Russia Ukraine deal is so much more complicated than just, you know, Putin invading. Like the whole thing is just, uh, it's a nightmare. And it's, and you, when you look at, at the, you know, for, for all the faults of the founders, they had some really incredible wisdom. And, and, you know, in Washington, when, when he left and talked about the, the, the danger of, of uh, political parties and then also entangling alliances overseas. And boy, if we're not seeing that right now, how dangerous that gets. I I mean, man. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and under Washington, in in Washington's time, every, uh, every problem that occurred in Europe was a family feud. Mm-hmm. So they were they were all interrelated. They were they were still interrelated until World War One. I. I know, um, and, and they'd know? send a send a couple, you know, hundred thousand people to go fight because two cousins were pissed at each other. You know, right? right. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, right. Turn the turn the turn the mud turn the ground into mud made from blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because uh yeah, cuz two second cousins were uh, were in a feud and it yeah, <laughs> it was right. it was insane. And now but now we do it over because two corporations are in a feud or something like that and instead of <laughs> instead of cousins. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and you're right about the the Putin uh, Ukraine thing too. That's in some ways that's a family feud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I didn't realize it, but uh, but but the but Russia comes from the name of the people who originally occupied Ukraine, the, the Rus people, R U S. You know, so so that's in some ways that's the Russian homeland, and and Kiev and, was like the traditional yeah. capital of right. Yeah, right. So. You know, and uh, yeah. the whole Crimea situation, the only reason it's part of Ukraine now is because Khrushchev or was a part of Ukraine was because Khrushchev uh, gave it away in a drunken poker game. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so it, yeah. it's just like one of the more like uh, profound historical figures uh, in, in human history. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a drunken poker game and he gives away this, this whole peninsula. <laughs> and it's like, it, at the end of the day, people are just people, you know, it's, uh, yeah. It, yeah. There, there's, there's good ones and bad ones, but then they're still just people. Yeah. They are just people. Uh, <laughs> they are indeed. They are indeed. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, now you've got some other books out as well, don't you? I do. I have uh, I have three other books in print. Um, uh, the three that are in print: uh, the Icarus Jump, City in the, here. I've got I've got copies of them. Okay. Uh, the Icarus Jump. Hmm. City in the Gate and the Gender of Fire. Okay. And, and all three of these have the same characters in them, uh, and are they're basically a series. It's a okay. sequence. It's a sequence. Um, Icarus jumps first, and it's about a, a 21st century uh, Army Ranger who's who's left the service and is working now as a contractor. Um, uh, doing an, um, uh, working with NATO to do some experimental parachute glider oh, okay. kinds of things. Well, <clears throat> and then what happens is that he goes on a, on a nighttime jump near um, some outpost of Russia's to see if Russia will will track uh, track his his jump. Uh, and of course, they can't see him; he's too small. Um, but he blacks out. And uh, when he wakes up as he's um, he gets tossed around as he gets as he leaves the airplane and he and he blacks out uh, and uh, and he, when he wakes up he doesn't know where he is mm. uh, he knows where he should be um, but this thing had a uh, a peroxide rocket motor attached to it so that he could penetrate deeply into other um, you know the background of of an enemy and, mm-hmm. and and do stuff behind the enemy lines. Uh, that was the whole point of, of developing this weapon. And um, so, but the rocket's gone. So he he must have fired the rocket while it was unconscious, or it went off as he lost consciousness. He, he has no idea where he is. He could be within six hundred miles of the spot where the where the oh, airplane <laughs> dropped him off. Uh, so he comes down and he's in the mountains and. Not real sure, but he thinks he's in uh, the Peloponnese uh, Peninsula of Greece, and he he comes down and and he he lands his he lands in a pool on the side of a mountain, and 
and uh, his clothes are wet and it's warm enough. He takes them all off and and uh, makes a little camp for himself, figures the rescue helicopter will be along in the morning, uh, goes to sleep. When he wakes up, uh, he sees some women coming down the side of the hill. Uh, they're going to go um, bathe in that pool and and so on. But uh, And then he sees some guys, some guys armed with spears and all things, uh, come sneaking out of the brush uh, with the clear intent of attacking the women. One thing leads to another, and it turns out he's about 2,000 years in the past, in uh, or 4,000 years, and he's 2,000 B.C. in, in, a, in Bronze Age Greece. Oh, so have, yeah, so here you have this army ranger, right, suddenly thrust into the middle of what ends up being a Bronze Age war, uh, and the people, the women that he takes, that he decides to protect, well, they are representatives of a matriarchal society. Huh. And if you know anything about the rangers, you know that there aren't any female rangers to speak of. No. Uh, I think there's only been two that have passed the test, and they didn't stay in the rangers when once they did. So, uh and, and the Rangers have been around since, what, 1787 or something? Some Somewhere around that. Or 1777, maybe. Uh, so only two women in, in all that period. And so, suddenly here he is in a matriarchal society, and he has to learn to adapt. And, and you know, he doesn't have any guns. He doesn't have any explosive. Well, what good is a gun when you run out of ammo? It's the same as a mm. rock, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, not um, as easy to throw. No, uh, no, you, you get a you get a wrong you get the wrong angle in it. Anyway, things rock along, and uh, he explores the culture. He saves the women. He saves the city that they belong to, uh, and that's uh, that's Icarus Jump. And then in the city in the gate, uh, the enemies that he's saving the city from end up invading. In a massive force, and he's got to use his 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 army training to help organize a group of people. And well, they've already got an army, and they've got generals, and they've got captains, and, and mm. they're, they're used to doing things their way. So, so the women who run the city say, "Okay, well, you can take these girls over here, and you can make them into a fighting force." Well, he does, uh, <clears throat> and his experience training a group of of uh, women, of young women who are offspring of a matriarchal society, um, you can expect them to be fairly headstrong. I would imagine. You know, <laughs> uh, and and kind of set in, their, set in their ways, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And uh, so he manages to train them as, as, a, as a decent fighting force. They have some, ex, 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 um, um, some good... Um, um, Action scenes in there. Um, they've got to rescue some people. They have been destroyed. An access point that the army is using to to invade, and and they pull all that off. Exploits galore, and that oh. that was that was fun to write. I bet. And then in this one, uh, he's still there. He's still with the with the city, and uh, as it turns out. There are too many, uh, the, the invading army is too large and they can't hold them off. 
they're going to lose the city. And so he figures out how to how to get them, how to rescue them, uh, get them evacuated, uh, and eventually leads them across uh, the wild lands of the southern Peloponnese uh, until they finally reach the seashore uh, where they have to fight off pirates. And then, you know, it goes on and on. It's, it's just a little adventure story, and it was fun to write. Um, Sounds like it. I'll have to check yeah. those out. Yeah. Ultimately, I'll come back to it. Uh, I think I'm going to get these people um, uh, across the ocean to Italy, and I think they'll become the first Etruscans. I think this is basically an origin mission um, myth for the, for the Etruscans. Um, so I take um, I take it you're uh, you're a student of history as well. Well, you know I am, and I read a lot. Um, so I don't know we. We've got probably ten thousand books in our library downstairs. So, my uh, my mom was a uh, was a high school librarian. So we I was yeah. big on I was big on reading, and I uh, I, I was a I was like a Civil War nerd. I I I've always oh, enjoyed just uh, military strategy and stuff. So and and yeah. uh, I, and so the Civil War was always interesting to me. How more than anything, just like how inept both sides were. I mean, the, like the, the Southerners had some really good generals, but if you look at Robert E. Lee, people loved him, but he didn't win that much. <laughs> you know, that's right. That's right. He didn't really get. He didn't really get very far out of Virginia either when you think about it. No, and <laughs> and his his best general, Stonewall Jackson, was shot yeah. by his own troops. By you know? his own men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, died because his own men shot him. Well, yeah. he was out there he was out there scouting the, the no man's land between the two between the two armies and and uh, yeah. got shot by his back. picket. Yeah, and got shot by his picket forces. Yeah. 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 And after that, they, uh, you know, Stonewall Jackson's greatest strategy was always get the high ground for your cannon, and mm-hmm. that's what he did. That's what he did. And he taught math and and became a uh, absolute champion at um, at artillery. But, um, there was a uh, an anecdote uh, about him. I don't know if it was there's any truth to it, but he had always uh, he was very devoutly religious guy, and no, he, um, he was. Before battle, he would uh, like he'd always put his his right hand up, and they the troops thought he was because he's praying or something. But turns out like he uh, he would do that to let the blood drain out of his arm or something. It was it was like he'd get a tingling feeling or something. So it, and he if he'd raise his arm up for a couple minutes, it would go away, and and it was nothing more than that. But it was like this big moment for for his troops and his troops they loved him. So it was uh, yeah it was, it was it was interesting how just you yeah. know. I, it it kind of reminds me of the um, the festival that you wrote about, and uh, you know where all the senior girls and they talk about tradition, and nobody knows why, but they're big on tradition. And uh, right. yeah, it's this way. yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny yeah. how yeah how yeah. that is all through history. Just like it makes it makes history more way more interesting when you do like when you realize like people are just people like no matter how great how how right. or whatever yeah. or 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 small yeah. just like they're still just yeah. people yeah right and that and that's what that was one of the reasons i wrote the uh, those first those first books um mm. because you go back four thousand years and you're still just dealing with people mm. they're just people take their yeah. clothes off take their clothes off and they're the same Yep. You know, no, you know, there may be some difference in body size based on nutrition. Yeah. Uh, but but other than that, um, or 
deformity based on disease. But other than that, people are people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I think I make that I make that point in uh, the first chapter of Jar of Pennies. I think so. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's not the history that repeats, but people. People mm-hmm. are always the same. People are always the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that changes are our methods. <laughs> yeah, methods, you know? ideas, and that's that's about it. Um, yeah, like right. and and sometimes the ideas don't change all that much either. Like they they'll right. it just put a new put a new wrapper on it. Right. Well, and and I I think the Civil War is one example of that. People are still mm-hmm. fighting that war. Yeah. I mean, you know uh, the Confederate flag. Um, being carried into the Capitol on January 6th. I, I think that was an indication of how of how that war is still going on. Mm. Um, you know, it's um, we may have declared it over, but it's not over. Well, and it, it was never really resolved very well. Right. right. It just right. Uh, yeah. And and that's I, I keep I keep uh, harkening back to uh, to Sherman. Like Sherman was one of the bigger sons of bitches that have that have ever lived, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know. But yeah. he's also hundred percent right when he talks about war. Like you don't win a war unless you are willing to kill every man, woman, and children to defeat them. You know, like that. That's right. just part of it. And right. And then yeah, he uh, and when we've we've seen that through our foreign policy over the past you know fifty years, fifty eighty years, like you can't go in and just like take little half measures and, and, and yeah, you like you, you have to like go scorched earth. Right. You, you can't leave your enemy alive mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and expect the war to end. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's why you don't want to fight wars if you can avoid it. Right. Uh, because, because really, honestly, the United States does not have the moral depravity it takes to mm-hmm. win wars. To win no, I don't think war. so either. We don't have the moral depravity. You have to be somebody like Putin who's willing to kill women and children and and hospital invalids and old people uh, and just basically kill everybody mm-hmm. or you're not going to win. Right. And we certainly saw that in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And, you know. You talk about an eighth generation feud over a goat. Well, what's the solution? Yeah. Kill both sides. Yeah. Right? Kill both sides. Yeah. That's the only, that's the only mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. If what you're looking for is complete resolution. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the United States has some great, great strengths. And among those are education, medicine, and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really do believe that we are we're probably downplaying our strengths in a lot of in a lot of places where we ought to be emphasizing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, food. Yeah. I mean, if you can provide food to people, you're their friend. Oh yeah. 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 Food and, and energy, both. I mean, we're we're getting ready to right. be real friendly with Germany on this natural gas deal. Um, well, friendly by I mean, we're they're going to buy a bunch from us. I don't know how much they're going to like us uh, when when they pay the, the the cost of it. But that's you know, I think that's uh, something that people are really sleeping on. Is uh, it got it kind of gets pushed by the wayside because this Ukraine deal is just um, awful like that that 
there has to be some sort of resolution to that soon or it's um but germany's putting in like a hundred billion dollars into their into their military and um i know like germany with a with a big military usually doesn't bode well for the rest of the world you know well yeah It ought to be bothering the French. That's it, it ought to. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, are the French and the Germans ever going to get along? I don't think they will. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, the national characters are pretty different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uneasy, I think uneasy neighbors, right? <laughs> I think uh, I think people are sleeping on that that little deal. Um, that guy said, you know. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. And fool us three times, I think the world's over. <laughs> you yeah, know, right, it's, uh, right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. That that whole deal over there is, is looking not great. Not great. And, no, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not. It's, but it's I think real, you're right. We're, we're real really crazy. downplaying our, our, our energy capacity too. I mean, for, right. for, for all the, the climate change stuff and whatnot, like it's pretty obvious that the green energy stuff is not ready for, for prime time at the moment. And, uh, right. we're sitting on the biggest oil reserves in the world and we're not hardly using them. Right. Right. And, and there, and there are some pretty weak countries around us that could, uh, like Venezuela that, mm-hmm. uh, that have huge oil reserves too. That, uh, yeah. We better be, we better be paying attention to. Yeah, because, it's, uh, because, because other people in the world will want those reserves, and yeah. Venezuela cannot defend itself. No, and so, uh, there's no real reason why we shouldn't be friendly with them. That's that's the big thing. Is like, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what was it? He he said, "I said it's the odor of Satan." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. There, there's a lot of reason for them not to be friendly with us, but for as far as on our end, like we we should be trying to be friendly with them, you know what? And uh, and it's uh, it, it's really stupid to have uh, have have an enemy that that close to us, you know. It's it'd be way way rather to have a good trading relationship with them. Right. Ron Paul always says where goods cross borders, troops don't, and uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Well, there's a good bit of truth to it. Um, of course, there is a there is a, are some pretty significant political differences. Um, yeah, they, they are obviously. Them, you know, so so it's not easy. And thank God I didn't was not the one who was put in the position to trying to make those kinds of decisions. Oh man, yeah. I don't <laughs> know if you? there is a <laughs> there is a winning in that situation even. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, God put me where I am, and I'm. This is fine. I, I don't yeah. need to be solving the world's problems. <laughs> you know, I, I feel the same way. I like talking about them and, and kind of Monday morning quarterbacking, but at the same time, it it's a good time to live in rural Nevada, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but right. It, it's, right. A, it's a really good time. Every time I see uh, all, all the nonsense going on in the cities, I'm just like, man, I'm love it or hate it. It's a good time to live in a small town. Right. Right. And uh, I, I agree. I agree. But, yeah, it's, oh, uh, oh, I, I, I wanted to get back to small town stuff. Yes, uh, I told you that I lived in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, the county that we lived in was was uh, almost, almost well, it was a little over a thousand square miles. Okay, so that's I mean that's big. Yeah, <clears throat> but if you take all of the farms and 
the paved roads and private property, you know, houses and yards and mm-hmm. government and government buildings, schools, you add all that up, all of it, you get about 70 square miles. Mm-hmm. And the other 930 square miles were pine forests. Mm-hmm. So there you are. I mean, that's yeah. the kind of that's the kind of place we were talking about. And it's deep woods. There's a there's an area over there you may not have heard of called the Big Thicket. And uh, you know, in the news these days, there's all this talk about that giant asteroid that struck off of uh, Yucatan and killed the dinosaurs 66 mm-hmm. million years ago. Well, it did a lot of stuff, but if you look at the geography uh, of the Gulf, the Gulf does look like a large crater, don't you? Mm-hmm. Don't you, you know? And if you look at them, if you look at the geography and then how the crown settled, uh, you go from sea level, and basically you don't have much of a rise for the first thirty miles mm-hmm. uh, from the water. And then you begin to have some gradual hills. And then you have a, a ring of hills that, that goes through Louisiana and all the way over into central Texas. But 60 miles from the Gulf, that land rises to 780 feet above sea level. Okay. That's the highest point. That's the highest point between the Gulf of Mexico and the Ozark Mountains. Huh. And 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 what happened during the last ice age is that every everything that was alive in North America when the ice age began moved south to avoid to avoid the, the cold. And they got to that seven hundred and eighty foot high ridge and they went over it. And they settled down towards the water. Mm-hmm. Well, over a hundred thousand years, that ice melted away. Mm-hmm. They didn't leave. Those those plant and animal species did not follow the retreating ice. They mm. stayed there. They stayed there, and it became an area called the Big Thicket. And it was called a thicket because, honest to God, it was a thicket. Uh, to get through it, you had to crawl on your hands and knees, mm. uh, and he, and even then you couldn't get through it. Some some places, I've 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 had to hack my way through through uh, piles of of uh, brambles that were um, twice as tall as I am. Uh. And and you get out you get out there, and you're you know you're in constant shade. Um, here and there, there'll be some sunlight getting to the ground. You've got um, deciduous trees. Um, soaking it all up. The pines managed to poke their way above the, the hardwoods and, and get to the sunlight above them. In that area, every species of oak tree that grows in North America grows right there. Really? And, and you cross that hill, that 780-foot high hill, and those species of oaks disappear until you get up around Illinois. Huh. Yeah, it's crazy. We have cacti down there you wouldn't see anywhere else growing right next to uh, orchids that grow only there and nowhere else in the world. There are 29 species species of orchids 
um, right there. And crazy, and, uh, yeah. And the United Nations recognized that area as a as a unique biosphere and designated it that. And and uh, in the 1970s, um, the representative Charlie Wilson spearheaded a, a move to get to get the big thicket declared a national park, and they did eventually declare mm. it a national park. So, so there are places where you can go. And is, um, is that where he, he his district was? Is is that East Texas area? That East Texas area. He was basically um, holed up in Lufkin. Okay. Um, most of most of his life. Um, okay, I, I knew he was from Texas, but I wasn't for sure where at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He married a girl from Corrigan and then divorced her, but stayed friends with her father, who happened to be um, Arthur Temple. Of Temple Inland Industries. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah fascinating, uh, fascinating area. I, uh, I really enjoyed the, you know, just the, the, how, how you lay out small town. I'm kind of, I, I think politics maybe is a, maybe too, uh, specific of a word but i think it i think it fits though because everything about small towns is politics i mean whether you know <laughs> well that's what politics is isn't it? yeah 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 <laughs> exactly it's uh you it's know? just a bunch of ba- small town politics all concentrated into washington dc you know <laughs> right <laughs> well i mean the word itself comes from greek right oldest meaning people mm-hmm. politics you know it just it's, yeah it's, it's, it's the way people talk to one another yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um yeah, it's uh it's a it's a fascinating book and uh Thank I'm you. I'm Thank you. I'm I'm looking for I'm gonna read your other ones too. Actually, uh when we get done here I'll uh we'll trade information and whatnot. Maybe you can uh, okay. sign a couple copies and, and send them to me. I'll pay them for I'll, 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 I'll buy them from you if 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 you'd like. It don't matter, but I, I'd like to have a, a couple signed copies just because I I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation and Anytime you, you want, you want to come back on and promote something, or just uh, talk shop. You know, you're more than welcome. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, man. I'm, I, I hope I've made a friend. You sure sound like one, and I'd like to visit with you again. Yeah, I, I think it'd be awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I've. I've uh I've got a couple ideas of uh, for books that I'm uh, eventually I'd like oh, to write and uh good. and I there's a uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Boots O'Neill he's uh yeah oh yeah I'm I'm friends I got to be become friends with him through this podcast and uh yeah I've I've talked with his daughter and she's always talked about writing a book and I thought well I've got all these this recorded uh, material from Boots and I might as well just put it in his own words and. You know, I think it'd make a make it a hell of a book, yeah. and uh, but there, there's uh, there's there's a lot of there, there's yeah a lot of ideas I have. But anyway, I, I've uh, I've enjoyed your work. I've really enjoyed this Thanks, conversation, sir. and Thank I you. look forward to doing it again. So, um, you your publicist, your publicist is awesome, by the way. I've 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 worked oh, with her you. on on a couple of the the other authors authors that she uh that she represents, and she does a good job. I you know. She she's she's very very efficient and uh and timely. So like I I've, yeah. I've enjoyed you know help having her help set everything up. But well, sure. um I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, lucky, I, I'm lucky to have her. I'm I'm very pleased. Yeah, she she's good. So um 
but yeah, we'll, uh, I've got your, your number and everything and, uh, we'll, we'll stay in, we'll stay in touch. I, uh, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. We'll, we'll have the, another, I'll have my theme song play at, at the end. Um, but if you'll stick around through the end of that, we'll, uh, yeah, you we'll exchange you. information and then, uh, um, but, uh, if there's anything else you'd like to, uh, you know, where, where are they, is it a Amazon? You've got a certain website you want them to go to or. Well, uh, the book is being sold on Amazon. Uh, it, it, uh, it'll be available to bookstores. Uh, um, you can go to a bookstore and order the book now. Um, uh, if you want to, I've also recorded it. So it'll oh, be available, perfect. it'll be available on Audible. If you live in rural Nevada, you will have an opportunity to listen to the whole thing. Yep. That's <laughs> I, I audible is a great thing. I love, yeah. uh, that's a, about how I do most of my reading anymore. I, I, I find it hard to sit to find the time to sit down with a physical book and, and yeah. read it. Um, but I, uh, I spent a lot of time on horseback and I've, I've always got a, an earbud in my ear listening to, you know, either yeah, a book or, or a podcast. I just, I don't know. I'm always curious. I gotta, I gotta know stuff. So Sounds like an ideal life to me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I won't. I don't complain about it too much. I tell tell you the truth. I complain about a lot of other stuff, but my my life in general is pretty all right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. And how's the demon child? How's she doing? She's doing good. Good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um <laughs> that's your yeah, that's it, your name for her right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thea, I think, and then you call her Thea. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah. Sophia. She's uh, yeah. she's awesome. She 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 really does. Uh, she she doesn't slow down at all. She's uh, she's gonna take yeah. over the world one of these days, I think. But is she in uh, school? Is she in yeah, school? she's well. We're we're homeschooling. We we do a uh, we do kind of a, a co-op, a homeschool co-op through a local church, and uh, right. so they go a couple of days a week there. And she's uh, second grade, and then my boy Perfect. is. Uh, he's in first grade. He's five, she's seven, he's five. And, and, but they're, they're both very bright kids. And so we're, yeah. I like the homeschooling deal cause we can move them along as fast as we want them to. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm big on education. I'm not so much on public education, but uh, a good education is invaluable. And man, I, I tell you, it is. It's, it is, uh, it is. I, I told my, my little girl that, uh, I said, it's the cool thing about learning stuff is like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, there's the other part of that is, is is if you don't learn, you end up condemned to ignorance Mm -hmm. and and then, and then you are victimized by every other person who's Mm -hmm. smarter than you are. Uh, One of the things, one of the things I do in my spare time is, is uh, go down and mentor uh, in the reading program at our local elementary Mm -hmm. school, trying to get kids that are, you know, a little slow uh, or a little behind the curve, uh, caught up and, uh, yeah. and able to perform. It's been a very rewarding work. And, I bet. Um, and they're very, they're very appreciative. And those little second graders, boy, they, you know, somebody, I'm, I'm a big guy, you know, mm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm over six feet and over 250 pounds and, and, uh, I, I do have a physical presence in a room full of second graders. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as they realize I'm I'm not a threat, we have a really good time, and uh, and they learn they learn how to read, and it's it's uh, it's a blast. I have a great time doing it. 
Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. awesome. That's awesome. I yeah. uh that, that that's really cool. We uh I've I've been able to do some uh you know, we've we've brought the kids out to the um you know the all the kids there in that homeschool group we've we've had them out to the feedlot where I work a couple times and shown them around and you know and then that's an that's another good thing to you know like people lose uh touch with where food comes from too and right it's right. it's real yeah. real easy to demonize the ag industry and then uh right. but the people that demonize it really don't know anything about what it what it takes to to put right. food on the table you know right. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I think the more people learn about that, the you know, the better off it better off it is for for us in the rural communities as well as you know, just in general. Like it's a good thing to know where where that stuff comes from and how it's made sure. and how how it gets there. And it's uh, so it's neat being able to do that and you know, and teaching a kid to read. That's um, how, how many how many you know generations, centuries of people were of just illiterate right. people. You know, uh, right. you had to believe what the the church was telling you or the whoever. Right. Uh, yeah, because 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 the guy who was preaching was the only one in town who could mm-hmm. read. You know? Right. Yep. Um, yeah, and and all he could read was Latin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, it, and it seems like there is um. You know, it's it's becoming cooler to be be a nerd nowadays too. So it's uh, that it's not a yeah, you know, pe- people don't necessarily uh, write you off when you, you say oh, I like to study history or I like to do you know nerdy stuff. So yeah, it's uh, that's a, that's a good thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it is. Yeah, history is important. Yeah, really I think is. so. Yeah. I think so. Well, John, I appreciate your time so yeah. much. It was a it was a true pleasure. Um, thanks everybody for tuning in. Go buy the book Jar of Pennies. Uh, if if you can get it from a bookstore, that's better. But Amazon does all, does just fine too. Yep, Amazon will get it to you tomorrow. There you go. So, uh, right, yeah, thanks for tuning in. And like I said, stick around for just a second while we play this sure, song. Man. But everybody else, um, move your ass. We're burning daylight. <laughs> you rise up in the morning beneath the stars so bright. Pull your hat down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horse is kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. It'll get your ass moving somewhere, burning. Get your ass moving sun burning daylight.